A prayer from Bread for Tomorrow in Kenya. Deliver me from the cowardice that dare not face new truths. From the laziness that is contented with half-truths. From the arrogance that thinks it knows all truths. Good Lord, deliver me. In 1380, in Tigray province in northeastern Ethiopia, a boy was born named Hadege Ambesa, which means reminiscent of a lion. He was expected to be a warrior like his father, but he wanted to study in a liturgical school. When his father opposed his ambition, he ran away and joined the school anyway. He was consecrated a deacon at age 18. He, ran, he, he began to earnestly seek the salvation of his soul and decided to become a monk, taking the name Abba Estephanos, or Stephen. In the monastery, even though he practiced all the required rituals assumed to bring salvation, they did not satisfy his soul or give him peace of mind. As he made pilgrimage from place to place, he met a renowned Orthodox priest, Abba Gebre Nazrawi, who taught him a Pauline understanding of salvation. This led Abba Estefanos to meditate on Jesus's words and to finally understand through the Holy Spirit that salvation was accomplished on the cross. He felt convicted of his sins and from that day on, his life was transformed. He abandoned the ancient rituals, stopped drinking alcohol, gave his money to the poor and began to copy out the scriptures to distribute as there was a shortage of Bible manuscripts. His new teaching attracted many followers, but also persecution. The head of the monastery had Abba Estefanos thrown into prison for three years. Abba Estefanos rejected the worldly authority of monks and conducted worship services without the presence of a tablet, that is a replica of the Ark of the Covenant, which is mandatory in every Orthodox church. In his teaching, he also denied the emperor's Solomonic authority and refused to bow before him. He allowed against church polity, non-believers or traditionalists to enter the church building. He did not worship the images of saints and angels and did not humble himself in front of the Virgin Mary and the cross of her only son. He emphasized instead the authority of the Bible and taught that salvation was the free gift of God. He opposed witchcraft and harmful traditional practices alleged to bring healing. He taught that God heals those who live according to his will and affirmed that we do not live for ourselves, but whether we live or die, we belong to God. He and his followers drew up a plan to, to evangelize the entire country with teams and team leaders who were to teach scripture and to lead by example. His radical teaches, teachings became the foundation of the Stephanite movement, but they also ultimately led to his martyrdom. Abba Estefanos and his followers were severely persecuted everywhere they went. Eventually, Abba Estefanos was thrown into a dark prison for the last time, chained hands and feet, 
and his followers exiled or killed. On the day he died in 1450, the jailer heard him call out the name of Christ three times. Then there was silence. This was followed by an earthquake that shook the prison. They later found his body within with the chains thrown off his hands and feet. After his death, Emperor Zara Yaakob persecuted the Stephanite movement into extinction. I wanted to tell you this remarkable story of a revival movement in medieval Ethiopia for a couple of reasons. First, it gives a sense of globality of the Christian missionary movement throughout history from the earliest times. After Jesus's departure, the gospel spread in all directions. Disciples, apostles, evangelists went east all the way to Mongolia, China, Korea, and Japan before the 13th century. They went north and west into Europe, and they went south into northern Africa, Egypt, Nubia, and ancient Ethiopia in the earliest centuries. The Stephanite movement was an attempt at reformation within the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Abba Estefanos's radical teachings had quite Protestant-sounding undertones. His movement was contemporary with that of Jan Hus and the Bohemian Reformation almost a century before Martin Luther. Secondly, this story introduces the theme that I want to explore in our biblical text this week, the launch of the missionary movement in Acts. It will also serve as an introduction to the report of my mission trip to Africa in March. A quick note on the terms mission and missionary, which we're gonna see different definitions and understandings of. These terms are not found in the New Testament or elsewhere in the Bible. The use of the term mission for a religious undertaking involving evangelizing and establishing new churches originated in the 16th century. It is derived from a Latin term meaning to send. It was first used to describe the work of the Jesuit movement, a great missionary order of the Roman Catholic Church, that is the Society of Jesus. We can see the connection in the New Testament to the term apostle, which means one who is sent. In our Western de-Christianized society, however, the terms mission and missionary they get a bad rep because of the mixed legacy of the missionary movement. However, that is not the whole story of the mission of mission history. Mission history is church history. And the story of the church from the beginning has always been the story of all those who were sent out. Men and women sent by Jesus Christ, inspired by their love for him. The global missionary movement begins with the story of Stephen's martyrdom in Acts 7. After his death, we read in chapter 8 that a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. In chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch hears the gospel from Philip and carries it back to his country of Nubia. In chapter 10, Peter baptizes a Roman centurion and his whole family, Gentiles, and they receive the Holy Spirit. In chapter 11, 
unnamed men of Cyprus and Cyrene evangelized the Greeks in Antioch, where followers of the way are first called Christians. In Antioch, this is where the church first becomes bicultural. It contains Jews and Greeks. And so a new descriptive term is needed. From then on, the church will grow to become more and more multicultural through mission. And in our epistle reading, Peter expounds on a radical new twist on the idea of the chosen people of God, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He overturns the concept of Israel as God's chosen people based on blood and family lineage. Yes, this lineage started with Israel, with the stone that God laid in Zion, that is Jesus the Messiah. But here Peter speaks to his Gentile audience, churches in Asia Minor, and tells them, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Peter subverts the language once used to describe Israel as God's chosen people, and he redirects it to all people, Gentiles from all nations, and redefines them as God's chosen people, one family bound by blood, yes, by blood, but the blood of Jesus. We love because he first loved us. The story of the mission of God, Missio Dei, in the world is a love story. The story first of God's love for us and then of our love for Christ and for our neighbor. But it's also a story of struggle and sacrifice. When we suffer, Psalm 31 that we read today reminds us that our times are in his hands. When we undergo persecution, God is our rock and stronghold. And in his hands, we commend our spirit as Jesus did on the cross. In the gospel today, we hear, we read that Jesus murmurs to us, let not your hearts be troubled. And he holds up as a model of love, the unity that he has with the father. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. And when we do mission, it is in the strength of this unity that we go forth. My trip to Burkina Faso and Democratic Republic of the Congo began as the fruit of a friendship. Annika and I, we're students together at BU. She graduated with her PhD a year after me. She and her family moved to West Africa as Mennonite missionaries. She as a global Christian history instructor for Francophone Africa. Last year, she invited me to co-teach a five-day intensive workshop in Kinshasa, DRC. This experience would allow us to continue a collaboration that we have been uh, doing together related to my work in the dictionary with the Dictionary of African Christian Biography. We also had a common interest in developing teaching materials 
for theological education in Africa. The workshop entitled Writing the History of the Church brought together Mennonites from three different denominations in the Congo. The goal was to equip writers and aspiring historians to write biographies of the Congolese men and women who had been the pioneers and pillars of the Mennonite church. A concrete outcome of the workshop is to publish through Langham Publishers, a book of the students' biographies that will include introductory historical and pedagogical materials also in the service of the church and religious educational institutions. The workshop was advertised through WhatsApp to all three denominations. Students were chosen through a very careful selection process based on ability, commitment to history and experience. But we also paid attention to the composition of the group so that we had students of different ages, ranging from their 20s to their 70s, and regions of the DRC, which is a huge country. Some students came from far away as Chikapa, 530 miles, Mbujimai, 800 miles, and Bukavu, 1600 miles. In the end, we accepted 16 out of 40 applications. The final choice came after careful consultation with local agents and friends who gave valuable advice. This process allowed us to bypass political favoritism in the churches and retain control over our group culture, which contributed importantly to the success of the workshop. Even though we were aiming for an equal number of men and women, there were not enough female applicants so that we could, so we could only invite five women. From the beginning, I felt that God's hand was upon the workshop. Even before we arrived, there was a sense of group cohesion and a spirit of kindness, brotherly and sisterly love, humility, and solidarity. When I wrote to the WhatsApp group, which contained all of the students, that we had had an evening of prayer here at, um, at New, uh, St. John's before I left, a couple of the responses that came in the WhatsApp group was, were the following. Our joy is immense when we learn that your church, our church to all of us, has organized a prayer meeting for the circumstance, and we thank you for it strongly. Warm greetings to you, Dr. Michelle, whom we anticipate welcoming to Kinshasa. May the Lord protect you, but also thank you so much for the spiritual involvement of your church in New Haven, USA. God bless them. We already feel the success that our God will grant this workshop and even the progress that will be made for his glory. Hallelujah. One student, Dr. Josue, a medical doctor, came from South Kivu, Bukavu, the site of Congo's two world wars that have left over 20 million dead in the last two decades. Another student, Madame Bercy, is the head of a historic Bible school in Kasai. Her school faces great needs, lack of funds, teachers, crumbling building, and as a female leader of an institution and a denomination that does not allow women leadership or, pre or for women to become pastors, she faces much opposition simply as a woman. Students come to her to tell her sometimes that they are starving because they have no money for food. 
and she takes them in. Another woman, Charlie, is, is an advocate for women and she trains them in literacy and peacekeeping or conflict resolution methods. The best way to describe that week is for me to share part of a report on the workshop written by Charlie, our student rep, or village chief, as they say in Congo. And this is her voice. The workshop began with an opening worship service led by Reverend Matwala. The speaker, Reverend Mubepe, provincial representative of the fourth CFMC, city of Kinshasa, delivered the opening remarks and praised the initiative. He was preceded by Reverend Vunda Michel, provincial representative of the CMCO. Mr. Maurice Matsitsa, coordinator and one of the participants, introduced the, the church officials. To begin the program, Dr. Michel told us the story of Lidi Nangulun of Cameroon, a powerful testimony in the DACB that inspired us to pay attention to the other pioneers in our manual. Her presentation on the ancient and medieval church in Africa shed light on a little known chapter in our history. It was the very first time that we learned that there were also black pioneers, both men and women in the establishment of Christianity in Africa. As for Dr. Annika Fast, the story of the Mennonite church attracted a lot of attention from the participants, the majority of whom still knew that the first mission began in Jokopunda. Through her teaching, we learned the smallest details of the Mennonite mission. The workshop presented several highlights. First, the fact of bringing together members of the three Mennonite communities, among which there was a diversity of languages, ethnic groups, ages, and provinces of origin, Kasai, Kasai Oriental, and Sukiru, and Kinshasa, really proved to us that we are one body in Christ Jesus. The love and unity of the group was tremendous. Comedian Papa Mihala made us burst out laughing at all times, especially during our practical work. Secondly, the candidacy of women was very much encouraged by the organizers. We saw how much this project showed consideration towards women. There were two women professors, a female village chief, five women out of 16 participants, and the cooking was coordinated by women. This is the very first time that a woman was a village chief in a workshop with men and women where there were church leaders in the group. It was a very good memory for me as village chief to be the leader of our authorities. The women felt very valued in this workshop and cast off the inferiority complex, complex that gnaws at us daily. Inspired by this first experience, women feel capable, capable of assuming any responsibility in our Mennonite communities and in society also. The morning worship was also another fantastic moment. The spirit of the Lord was present among us and in the wonderful workshop, songs of each day. Sometimes I interrupted my teachers to wake up tired participants. And this is what Charlie would do. She would say, excuse me, I need to wake people up. Please stand up. If I did that to you right now, you wouldn't like me. But she would say, stand up, we're going to sing. And she would have everybody singing, clapping, and dancing um, for a few minutes to wake people up. It kept the blood flowing. It was very wonderful. 
In conclusion, the different lessons taught by our two teachers encouraged us always to remain Mennonite Christians in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our church leaders greatly appreciated the initiative and would like to see this workshop project on the writing of church history to continue. Charlie, by the way, probably performed the most joyous dance at the very end when we gave out certificates. Uh, some of the uh, some of the students would just take their certificates and just dance their way to the end. And she was probably the most joyful of all those dances. So the workshop was also a learning experience for Annika and for me. During that week, I got to know the students and I entered into their experience as Christians who had to live in a failed state with wars, violence, theft, murder, deprivation, and corruption as a daily part of their lives. After the workshop, Charlie received news of a massacre by a militia in the very village where she used to train women. She shared her grief over WhatsApp along with photos. In my individual conversations with some of the younger students, I discovered that they were encouraged in their faith by what they were learning learning about how God acted in history and in the global church beyond their local context. This gave them hope to carry on in difficult circumstances. The more I listened, the more I carried some of their grief. I prayed with them about their struggles, but more importantly, they prayed for me and mine. One of the largest breakthroughs perhaps that was, um, was that um, something that was on Annika's heart. And it was the desire to mend some of the hurtful missionary legacy in the Mennonite church in the Congo. To help the students understand that from the very beginning, Congolese evangelists were missionaries in the very same way as the white missionaries. Because in the past, the title of missionary had been used only as a discriminatory term, an honor and a rank that belonged only to white agents. For the Congolese, the, mission, the message that they received was that they were second class, second class evangelists or Christians because they did not deserve to be called missionaries. But Annika showed them otherwise. She also told them the stories of several friendships between expatriate missionaries and Congolese in which the latter acted with freedom and autonomy and were respected thanks to the love and support of the expat missionaries. All these stories gave our students hope for the future because it repaired some of the misunderstandings of the past. The most important takeaway perhaps from this workshop for all of us, students and teachers, is in what I might call a case study in a new vision of mission it is something that Annika calls in an article that she's written, an act of remembering of the global church. That is the act of bringing together the various members of the global church into one unit. The work of restoring relationships within the global body of Christ. And we do this, this is what we did during that week and what I do as part of my work with the Dictionary of African Christian Biography 
is we use biography to share stories across time and space as a way to help the church reconnect to its original globality and to reconcile us as a global body. Annika describes the process this way. Biographies serve a crucial bridging function within the global church. They bridge big stories and little stories. They connect theory and practice. Making history is extremely intensely personal. They're a kind of story that allows for remembering of pain and betrayal while still showcasing Africans' missionary initiative. The production of biographies is a relational process that brings people together in conversation between North and South. Existing biographies as a course material generate new biographies. As stories are added, momentum grows, which is part of the process of weaving new webs of connection across boundaries within the global church. And most importantly, biographies offer a way for more Africans to become tellers of their own stories without losing sight of the broader belonging to a global church. In all these ways and more, the reading and hearing and telling of biographies in an ecclesial and academic context contributes to the shared remembering of the painful yet beautiful story of God's action on the continent of Africa. During the workshop, as we shared stories and learned to tell the stories of the past, we all experienced this coming together in spirit and in understanding. The friendships that have begun at the local level will have implications beyond all of our individual contexts. And so we will all continue in humility to turn our faces towards Jesus in our efforts, following the exhortation of Peter, who in our text today says, come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. May God make me able and make all of us able to offer such a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to him. Amen. Amen.